Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. My guest today is the 13th child of Oklahoma sharecropper who possesses all of the greatness of a great American entrepreneur. He possesses the ability to have destiny as well as the desire to change the world for the better, starting with a single mud truck purchased with borrowed money to a man who now advises presidents on our American energy policies. Harold championed the end of the export ban here we know is the American oil and gas ban that led to $1 trillion that led into our economy and helped the American family. He also founded more than 50 years ago Continental Resources that now operates in four of America's premier basins, recently taking the company from public to private. Harold has generously given to numerous causes. A few of them to name are the Diabetes Foundation, Energy Poverty, Literacy, and Education. And now it's time for me to welcome my guest today, Harold Hamm, who is the chairman of the board of Continental Resources. Harold, welcome to the show. Hey, good good to be with you. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Well, Harold, I want to start with you have been in the energy industry for over 50 years, definitely a wildcatter, and you have had a lot of abilities to make a difference in the world of energy. You recently released a book called Game Changer, and it's really written about your life, the 50 years, and the impact that you have made. But I want to start with the dedication because it was so touching to me. You you start with, first of all, dedicating the book and your life's work to the very people in the energy industry. You know, you discuss this is Continental Resources employees, but they are to all the tool pushers, roughnecks, uh, roustabouts, drilling rig pumpers, welders, truck drivers, heavy equipment operators, field geologists, engineers, you name it. And you you specify how hard they work from frozen plains of North Dakota to the searing hot prairies in Oklahoma and how much their dedication has really changed your life and your company's life. And quite frankly, in today's world that we live in, that's just not said enough. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it seems like the energy industry and the great people that work in it always seem to be demonized. So tell me, first of all, what really was the reason for you wanting to write such a detailed book that really explains what our energy crisis and policies are? Well, thanks for thanks for that question. It's a good question. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm pleased that you read the dedication. Uh, you know, what we've done is uh, tremendous, uh, tremendously important, not only to America, but also to the world. And we're seeing that play out with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, all those things uh, that uh, wonder, uh, once again underline what it means to be energy independent and have national security on energy, national energy security. So it's a it's a good time to talk about these things, but you know the uh, uh, you know from where we came uh, with uh, a decline in production in the U.S. Uh, people call it uh, terminal decline. They expected that we'd produce out the reserves we had and it'd be over and gone. And, uh, and you know just the opposite happened, and it all happened with one thing, and that's horizontal drilling, our ability to drill down figure out how to do it, uh, turn uh, north or south, east, west, and drill one to two, three, four miles further and, and complete the well bore within uh, producer, producible rock uh, when drilled that way. Uh, that wouldn't produce uh, uh, when drilled vertically or not very well. So we've done a, done a tremendous thing. And 
And uh, when I say we, I mean the entire industry. Uh, some of us was thinking maybe at the top about how to do it and, and dream about how to do it. And, and instead, we didn't have a lot of support in that thought. Uh, but it was those workers and those people that uh, came together to help us uh, mm-hmm. get that done. So uh, I'm serious. Uh, no, Nobody did this alone. It took all of us. And uh, that dedication was heartfelt uh, well, to the oil and gas workers. Exactly. And there were a lot of things, though, that were occurring. Uh, first of all, the technology evolving. And it's, of course, now feasible to use um, uh, hydraulic uh, drilling, if you will. Um, in the book, your forward was actually written by the Honorable Mike Pompeo, 17th Secretary of the United States of America. And in here, he goes into talking about how important energy is. It's a matter of national security. It's very important we have an abundance of energy when we talk about potentially going to war. And the the world seems to be very, very unstable. And yet we are moving further and further away from having uh, energy independence. Uh, One of the things that I think is important is as we do this interview, President Biden, who seems to have really made a stance that he is for renewables and green energy and is definitely trying to regulate the oil and gas industry out of business, if you will. And and, and I say that because he showed it from the first day when he was in office and he was elected and he killed a Keystone pipeline with an executive order. Today, he is calling to do away with oil and gas drilling completely. Now, I want to take you back to, he said in in his speech, the State of the Union, that, you know, he told the American people, oil and gas isn't going anywhere, I believe he said, at least 10 years. And today, um, he is saying he wants to ban it completely. Kind of give our listeners an understanding of what you think would happen if he actually was successful to some degree. I don't think he can, but what are we looking at as a country when we have poor energy policies? Well, first of all, we know that he's not going to be successful. He hadn't been successful at doing anything uh, since he became president. And he won't be during the rest of his short term. Uh, So anyway, uh, you know, this fellow is just as far off base as he was when he voted for Carter's Fuel Use Act of 1977, which which, uh, banned the use of clean burning natural gas as a boiler fuel and mandated 100% use of coal. Now, Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, the... (laughs) Uh, opposite of where he's at today. Uh, and he was wrong then, he's wrong now, and he'll be wrong tomorrow for the next thing he comes out with. So he's not going to do any of these things. It's wish fantasy for him to even think he could come up with a system that would replace oil and gas uh, use in America or anywhere else. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that's where that is. So the guy's completely uh, lost it in that oh. regard. Let me go back to your forward, uh, which Mike Pompeo writes, and he says, I quote, he says, the energy independence achieved under the Trump administration was gone after those who followed us, meaning the Biden administration. And he says, you know, what happened is that there are too many objectives from too many policymakers today that no longer revolve around the prosperity of the American people, but rather they sacrifice the Americans' prosperity in pursuit of vague, lofty, and ever-changing goals related to climate change and green energy. He says, this is why I hope the readers will appreciate Harold's exceptional life and understand the truth that lies at the center of it all is that we have to look towards the future, understanding that the true advantage of America is oil and gas. I mean, it is essential to the economic well-being and our national security. 
So that being said, you know, you have, as a young man, you write in your book, you've always had oil uh, in your blood. It showed from when you were, I think, a teenager in writing about it in school. And you've also played a vital role in helping the United States understand the importance of energy. And I want to ask you what you thought about when you were a part of the Trump administration and this change of helping advising him. I think he even um, asked you and you write in the book uh, to be Secretary of Energy. And you, you got to read the book, folks, if you want to understand why Harold did not accept that position. But how do you feel about being such a big political part of the Trump administration? and setting us on this path to energy independence the way that Trump administration did? Well, we were pretty well prepared. Uh, I worked uh, with uh, Romney, uh, you know, setting up an energy plan for him if he became president uh, when he ran. And so he was pretty well prepared already. So when Trump ran, uh, you know, uh, of course, I got, that's where I got acquainted with Trump is during the Romney campaign. And and talk to him about energy. He learned about the energy renaissance uh, basically through me. And so it was, it was pretty easy having a, a good effect uh, there with him. Uh, you know, he, he also, like Mike Pompeo, took a very simplistic uh, common sense approach to energy. And uh, so it was, it was fairly easy. The plan was there uh, on how to do it. Uh, he followed the plan. And sure enough, we went from an air of scarcity to one of air of abundance uh, yeah. during his administration. Now we're going back the other way. I think it's so bad. I'll say this right now that here, uh, Biden, we have energy independence. We're very close to it uh, in this country. And it, it means peace in the world. It means so much more than people even can imagine. And we've seen the effects of that with us uh, providing LNG to Europe last winter. Uh, after the Russians cut them off. And uh, so it means so much more, so important. And yet here we've got a president uh, that's out here uh, with this wish fantasy that he's invented that would take us entirely back, create a, a new system, if you will, around electric vehicles that require batteries and the, the metals of which come from 85% of it comes from China. So it jumped right back into dependency on someone that increasingly is not our friend. <laughs> and and how, how good a program is that? And how good a system would that be? You mentioned China. So let's talk a little bit about your book also talking about, um, you said you quote, a quote from your book says, not a day goes by without energy in the headlines from banning gas stove prices uh, to, uh, you know, threats or prices at the pump. And of course, there's all this global supply chain issues. And it's always front and center. And you hear it from people, you say, who have high emotion, low fact, uh, offering information to folks who have no clue what they're talking about. So this is where you begin your 50 years. And it's exactly what you said. My question, though, is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, you know, you're talking about the Biden administration. And we know that he has used Strategic Petroleum Reserve for political purposes, political gain. And there is discussion out there that this may happen again. And so my question is, can you explain to us what you believe the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is there for, the importance of it? And, and what do you think this administration about what they're doing with the reserve? Well, I think it's terrible what they're doing with it. First of all, it was created uh, to give a, a quick drawdown reserve uh, in, in time of war. 
And who knows when that might happen, you know, that uh, you need everything you can get to fight a war. And so that's what it, why it was created. And here we've drained it for uh, to keep price uh, gasoline down and the price diesel down, uh, which didn't quite work either. Uh, but anyway, that's why they drained it. But you can only drain it once. And uh, they haven't refilled it. Uh, we're getting down to, you know, toward the, uh, you know, the middle of what, what they have in it. So the rest of what they have in it comes out a lot slower uh, as well. So if, if you did pull some more out of it. So you get into a critical point of what they could pull out of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's totally used for the wrong purpose and, uh, you know, puts us in a very vulnerable situation. But we're not the only ones that know that. Uh, of course, the whole world knows that we are we have depleted our petroleum reserves to the lowest in 40 years. Yes, China is aware of it. Um, Russia, China, they certainly know. Harold, let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And you're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Harold Ham, Chairman of the Board for Continental Resources. So let's talk about now a potential solution since you're making sense about the Biden administration. And and I do talk a lot on the show about one of the things I love President Trump saying is elections have consequences and they do. We should do our research because it is our right to go vote. And we should vote for people who have solid energy policies because it is a matter of national security and it affects us all. The solution in your book, Chapter 8, says the Renaissance, American achieves energy independence. And you, sir, set out to change the game. It took you three years, 35 trips to D.C. in 15 months. December 18, 2015, you and a coalition of associations changed the destiny for the American people. What was that? Well, uh, of course, lifting the ban, a 40-year-old ban on export. So it was put, put in, uh, you know, actually back in uh, Nixon era. Uh, and it's archaic. It shouldn't have ever been done. It was in, they considered an era of scarcity, and and that just fed on itself. Uh, so it didn't work, and uh, it shouldn't have been there, and everybody finally realized that that's the wrong thing to do. So, But lifting it, uh, lifting it, ban, and getting uh, uh, the votes to do it was not easy, and it, it took a lot of trips to D.C., and a lot of information uh, was uh, passed on. Uh, to Congress and in order to make it happen and had to be put in a particular bill, the omnibus spending bill, which the Democrats love, Obama loved that, yes. and to get it passed. So anyway, a lot of trade-offs, but we got it done. We seem to be doing a lot of that these days with the uh, IRA and of course, you know, the ominous bill you, you spoke about a moment ago. You know, Harold, I don't think that I'm going to give away my age too, but most people, if you were not born, you know, 1965 or so or later, you don't remember this. And that's part of the problem. And, and you write in your book about the American people just really need to pay attention and wake up. I can remember uh, when the before the ban, the scarcity you talked about, I lived in Houston, Texas, and I can remember being in line. These lines were like five miles long waiting to fill up our car. And I can remember as a child uh, when we would pull up, fights breaking out because the gas station was out of gas. I was five years old. It was scary. We don't want to return to that. And we sit on an abundance. 
your book explains it very clearly. It talks about what is hydraulic drilling. And it's amazing that you have been able to simplify such a very complicated topic. I mean, I fight every week trying to explain it in a way that makes sense to the listener. Let's go back to your book, though. You cover a lot of different administrations as well. I enjoyed that very much because you taught me a lot. I really hadn't looked at different administrations that you have worked with. And so, you know, we we talked earlier about the Biden administration and killing the Keystone Pipeline day one the burdensome regulation they keep putting on the energy industry, making it difficult to drill on federal lands and just making it harder for exploration companies and pipeline companies to either get financing or permitting all the way through. And this is in the name of climate change. But in your book, chapter 12, it's titled, It's Easy Being Green. And so you discuss China is the fastest growing economy in the world, emitting 14.1 gigatons of carbon dioxide equally they have more than tripled its level since 1990. And that is a 25% increase in a decade. China now accounts for 27% of the global admissions, primarily from coal, while the U.S. comes in at a second at 11% and India comes in at 6.6. And the entire United Union, 27 nations, accounts for 6.4. And you go on to say that we might be surprised by how much China is, you know, they rose by 26%, and yet the United States keeps reducing admissions. My question is, if we have climate crisis going on, and the world leaders and Biden are saying climate crisis, then why are is none of these world leaders or this administration talking about holding China accountable for what they are doing? Because they are bringing on coal mines even as we speak. So they seem to be somehow or another uh, an emerging economy. And so no one, well, I take that back. Kerry went the other day and got his hat handed to him saying, we're not going to participate. Talk to me about what you think about China. Well, uh, certainly it's, that whole chapter is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek deal. It's easy to be green. Mm-hmm. It's also way less expensive. You know, if you if you just uh, continue to use coal and, uh, you know, it, it's cheaper and than going the higher tech uh, route with clean, burning natural gas. And these guys got abundance of coal, uh, even though it's a dirty fuel and and certainly pollutes the air. So that's why they choose to do that. Uh, and, and China leads the way on this. It, it gets worse and worse the more you get into it, because they also, uh, not just what they're putting in in their country, but also what they're putting in Southeast Asia, and places like Vietnam, Pakistan, other places, Chinese contractors that's installing all these coal plants. About uh, China's putting in about one a week, but last year, 2022, they put in 300 in Southeast Asia. So you you think about uh, you know what they're doing. We've cleaned up our, our air to the 1970s level. Uh, with this uh, transformation to clean, burning natural gas in the U.S. So we've got the cleanest air in the world. Uh, they're electing not to do it. And the the Paris uh, Climate Accord let them off the hook as an emerging economy. My God, they're one of the biggest economies in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say they're emerging. Uh, yet, uh, you know, our, our smart people that signed on to the to the Paris Accord, let them off the hook on that. So it doesn't matter what we do over here. If China, India, and the rest of the world continues to do what they do, 
we're not going to help the uh, the climate. So we have to use IQ, uh, not the emotional quotient, and and realize what we're doing. Do do things that make common common sense, good common sense. And it seems like our political leaders in D.C. have not been doing that so much because last I checked, you know, we live on a globe. And so a lot of what China is releasing, it still affects the entire world. So if we're going to get serious and we're going to have our elected officials scare our children with, you know, we've got 12 years and they are not scientists by any means. Maybe we should start really trying to figure out a formula that actually holds all countries accountable as opposed to the United States. And I want to remind everyone what Trump, you know, his belief and what he said on this is just the greatest transformation of wealth uh, when we talk about this. And that was what he had to say on it. Harold, let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And you're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Harold Hamm, Chairman of the Board for Continental Resources. Let's switch gears because, you know, you're an expert in the energy industry. You've been a wildcatter. You've taken your company public and then you brought it back to be able to be private again. We are now dealing a new situation, fairly new, is ESG. I recently interviewed one of the executives from BlackRock, Rich Cashel. And, um, you know, he he was pretty adamant that BlackRock is leaving it up to their shareholders to make the decision. I want to get your opinion on how really bad is ESG for the oil and gas industry and how valid do you think it really is? What's the purpose behind the push of ESG? Well, how important is ESG? Well, it's it's uh, it's very bad. We're, we're in an era of uh, social equality in this in the world today. We really are. Uh, where there's racial, gender, you, you name it. And yet, here we are in business uh, being very discriminatory against one industry by the financial institutions. Now, how bad is that? Uh, that doesn't make common sense uh, on its face, much less we go further. So it's, a, it's, it's really a, a path that you don't want to go down, and nobody should have gone down. And now uh, BlackRock is, is really taking on a chin because they led this effort. And Larry Fink should take it on the chin for doing that. And, you know, they they thought uh, they could put a lot of funding together and make money off that from people that would back that. And they put a couple of funds together. But let me tell you, it has backfired on them. It, it's, it, it's not working out. Uh, it makes America non-competitive. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, just bad in so many ways you can't describe them all. And so it's not a, not a good thing to answer your question. It's a terrible thing, and, and people are pointing it out just like you have here today. Well, I think he's actually at this point refusing to even discuss it. Um, but when I had his executive on the show, this was prior to him saying, I'm not even going to discuss it anymore. Um, do we see as ESG go away totally, or does it just get watered down? What do you think happens? Because I, you know, I want our listeners to understand, because of ESG, you guys can't find financing for these projects. It take a, takes a lot of money and a lot of time to to produce one well. You've got to have uh, an you know money invested, and when they're not allowing you guys to go get financing, which is what this is, uh, it puts us all at risk again of not having 
access to an abundant of cheap, reliable energy that is right underneath our feet. So what happens to ESG, do you think, in the future? Well, that's a good question. I think it, I think it primarily goes away. Uh, you know, just like uh, there, you can't draw them into a conversation about it. They're ducking and dodging it every way they can uh, because it, they're getting some severe pushback. Oklahoma Treasurer uh, recently announced that they're not doing business with any bank that has brought that kind of pressure uh, against oil, their Oklahoma's oil and gas companies. And so they eliminate them. And so some of them, some of, them, some of those banks that were eliminated put calls into people to talk to me personally to get the treasurer to change his mind. Now, I didn't take their call and I didn't uh, get back with them. I'm not going to help them out of that hole they dug. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we don't feel very good about it. Well, I guess I was pretty fortunate that they agreed before this thing blew up. So uh, I have his show where he was kind of saying, uh, you know, <laughs> not doing anything. But, um, you know, was that part of the reason why, was ESG a really big part of the reason why you took your company back from being public to private? No, it wasn't. Uh, it was just a thing to do. It, it really, that had no bearing with us at all. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, a matter of a lot of things, but one, you know, we we owned eighty four percent of the company uh, to begin with, so it uh, wasn't that. Uh, yeah, we didn't have to, uh, you know, uh, worry about too much. Uh, you know, when it's the right thing to do for a whole lot of reasons, and uh, and certainly the market wasn't wasn't paying uh, for being being a public company anymore, and then. You know all the all, all the problems you go through to get ready for a quarterly report and all that kind of business. You, you just get freed up. Uh, our executives today and through, throughout the company, we got about twenty percent more time uh, that we can deal with the, all the other issues of fine oil and gas. That's what it says in your book, Harold. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Harold Hamm, Chairman of the Board for Continental Resources. Let's switch gears to Chapter 17. And you're talking about EVs versus IQ. <laughs> so, <laughs> once again, this administration is uh, talking about we are going to go EV. Uh, they are, you know, putting, taking their name on that. We're going to go EV. But while I'm not an expert in this industry, I'm just here to ask questions and interview people. We don't have these resources. We don't have enough charging stations. We don't have enough minerals, cobalt, lithium, things we need for these batteries. Everything we use runs off of lithium. And when in your chapter, talk to me about chapter 17, EV versus you know, IQ, where do you see the future of electric vehicles? I, I like them. I like Tesla's uh, vehicle. It looks super sweet and cool. I don't drive one personally because I just don't want to wait around charging them. People don't think about how long it takes to charge these cars as opposed to going to the gas station and taking three minutes to five minutes to fill up your car and go. I just know that it's not practical. Not right now. But yet you see all these automakers. I did a show not too long ago about how Ford is losing like $31,000 a vehicle. Uh, they have lost an enormous millions of dollars, but yet they're getting billions of dollars in the IRA. So why are they still into the EVs? 
it's probably because of the money, uh, which is what everything is. But I want your opinion on is that what is happening with the electric vehicle market? Well, the market, uh, you know, it's going to dominate uh, what happens to them. And just like yourself, nobody wants to worry about uh, where next to charge the thing. And uh, if your wife's going to get stranded out there someplace. Uh, so they're not buying them. And that's that's what all the car makers, uh, uh, you know, that was in such a rush to get in that manufacturing business. Now they can't give them away. Uh, so they're not selling them. And uh, and and a lot of a lot of them, like you say, uh, losing billions and billions of dollars as a result. So the market will uh, finally determine it. Uh, what happens to them, even though they've got all these subsidies uh, that's that's been given to them uh, by by our government, by you and everybody else that have to pay the uh, mm-hmm. taxes in the government, <laughs> uh, but. I think the market has fallen apart. A question I have outside of the book and more just of your long-term being in the business and also your background being seasoned in dealing with elected officials. We're getting ready for a political cycle one more time. And I envision it's going to get very nasty. They're trying to put Trump in jail, so it would seem, so he can't get to the White House. And yet there's so much information coming out on the Biden administration and their connection to China. My question is, who do you see is a good candidate to the White House that has a solid energy policy? Is there anyone that you're identifying with right now? And maybe you can't talk about, you know, who who it is, but, you know, I would like to get your opinion because our listeners, I think we're all trying to figure out, like, I like Trump. I want to vote for Trump, but I don't even know if he'll be able to run because they sure do look like they're going after him. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, they continue to go after him on a lot of things that uh, and most of it is... Uh, frivolous or whatever. Uh, I think he's going to get indicted for pulling off a mattress tag here pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he's, he's waiting on that one. Uh, but seriously, uh, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, uh, the Russian collusion that he was accused of having at the time he was, the American people elected him. There was no Russian collusion going on. Uh, you know, I was close to the administration. Uh, you know, that didn't happen. And mm-hmm. and yet, uh, th- we immediately was drugged through investigation after investigation after investigation on that. Uh, you know, it, it just, it's one thing after the other. So they're not going to get off of him. It's strange that they wait two and a half years uh, you know, to bring these last indictments, uh, uh, you know, right in the middle of, of an election cycle, uh, you know, when everybody's campaigning. Uh, so anyway, it's it's uh, it's very ridiculous. Uh, there's a lot of good candidates uh, out there, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, thrown their hat in the ring, and uh, people that have, are governors that have governed and proved they could govern. Uh, you know, Ron DeSantis was, would fall into that. Uh, Doug Burgum from North Dakota would 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 be there as well. Uh, Mike Pence, you know, you you go under several uh, mm-hmm. that have have been governors that can govern and, and good people. Uh, I, I like Nikki Haley. She's uh, you know a great American. Uh, she could also well qualified to do the job. 
So there's there's several out there that could. Whether I worry about Trump, uh, whether he can get there down the road with all the junk that they're throwing on top of him. Yeah. Uh, but can he be a good president? He's got great policies. Uh, we we know what uh, that did for America, uh, and it, when he was president, we know what it could do again. So anyway, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting season, uh, election season, and uh, uh, we we have to return it to uh, common sense, uh, bring some common sense back to government. Are there any Democrats uh, that are showing that they want to run? I, I know Kennedy's out there, but are any of them even talking about having somewhat of a solid energy policy, or is it all just, you know, we're going green? I, well, not that I know. I've uh, heard good things uh, talked about. Some people like Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, that he's more of a moderate. Uh, uh, so, you know, there, there's... He's about the only one that I've heard any talk about. Harold, let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And you're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Harold Hamm, Chairman of the Board for Continental Resources. Well, thanks for allowing me to uh, be with you today. And you've got a very good show. You asked very good questions. You obviously read the book. Uh, the book is important. It talks about uh, the fact we need to bring good energy policy uh, 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 into government and uh, to uh, the next administration and, and, and forward. We can't continue to fumble a ball every administration. And we've seen it on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need somebody that understands energy and can get it right. It's so important to America, and it means peace in the world. And people mm -hmm. need to remember, don't forget it. That's right. So th thank you very much. Well, let me close with this. You know, I want to acknowledge that you have written one of the best books. And I'm not just saying it or our listeners to go buy your book. I'm honestly saying it because it really was a book that I couldn't put down. It, it you, you made a very complicated topic, very simple. You went through the different administrations, their strengths and their weaknesses. To get us to the point, you explained what is hydraulic drilling. You go through the book and explain also the EVs, ESG, Everything we're dealing with right now, and even China, and it, you make a good, this book makes wonderful sense if you look and you're saying to yourself, something's not right about our energy policy. Something is not fitting with these elected officials, what they're saying. And at the end of the day, it's coming on the backs of the American people. So if you're paying more at the pump and you're upset or more grocery, your grocery bills higher, utility bills higher, everything it is because you, we are electing, I think, electing um, people who have very poor energy policies or don't understand it. And your book really does do a great job of helping us understand it. So thank you for writing it. And thank you for your 50 years of working in the energy industry and cracking that code on hydraulic drilling. Um, for our listeners, is your book available on Amazon.com? Where do they go to get your book? Yeah. 
Go there and buy the book. <laughs> That's right. You know, I had to go. It's going well because I had to go to three. I had to go three different times to three different Barnes and Nobles. The day, Barnes and Noble, the day it broke on August the first, to find your book because I needed to get it to study, and I was afraid I wouldn't get your book in enough time. So I had to go to three different locations. So it's flying off the shelves, Harold. Good job. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's had great response and. Uh, yeah, we've we've led Amazon.com in several several categories. So thank you very much. Thank you for being a guest on the show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. 